Welcome to Phone Messages, Episode 87, Cooperative Living. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play a message from my friend Maura Moyle, who, in high school, I knew as Maura Jones. Maura now lives in Milwaukee, and I am very fortunate to have an interview with her, which I will play after the message. Her message comes from the spring of 1989 and is about 20 seconds long. Here we go. Hi, Paul. This is Maura. Are you home? Nope. I guess not. Oh, well, just give me a call when you can. Bye. I sound pretty tired. It sounds like I just woke up or something. I don't know. So this would have been the spring of 1989. I would have been a student at UW-Madison. I had the freshman year in Oregon. I had the sophomore year in Minnesota. And then I had the four years at Madison. So I think I was a couple years away from graduating, but I probably technically would have been a senior. Do you have any specific memories about that time? My memory is not that good. Probably because of what I did while I was there. I don't know. I remember you lived in a kind of a co-op. Oh, God, did you visit me there? Yes. So Uh, tell me a little bit about the co-op scene in Madison. The co-op scene was sort of like the antithesis to the Greek, you know, the sororities and fraternities. Now, first of all, what was the name of your... Nottingham Co-op. I don't know if it's still there. It was very extremely liberal, kind of a commune type of situation, vegan, clothing optional. So one time my mom and I think it might have been my stepdad too, they came to visit me and there was a guy playing the, you know, they heard the piano. It was like, ah, this beautiful piano. And so my mom walked over to the piano and the guy had no clothes on while he was playing. So that was a little shocking to my mom. But it was right on the lake, right on Lake Mendota. Um, It's really cheap. I think it used to be a sorority house or a fraternity house or something like that. So it was a big structure with a few different floors. So there was a big common area. They used to have these huge parties. One time there was a naked dinner, which I did not have the guts to go to. They had the dinner in the backyard, but I was just more like, watching from my upstairs room and kind of giggling. Um, it was very, like, a, almost a militant liberalism. You know what I mean? I don't Like, I almost felt, I felt self-conscious for wearing makeup or for not wanting to be naked. I think I felt a little uncomfortable all the time there. The showers were communal. And... I remember I was taking a shower and a guy came in and started taking a shower with me. So that was kind of weird. I think most people probably just, if they heard someone in the shower, they waited. Technically, you didn't have to. So this guy actually came in and started taking a shower with me. Um, you had to make a dinner every so often. 
and it had to be vegan. You could have eaten, you were, you were supposed to be able to eat there every night. That was kind of part of the whole, the fee. But I would say a third of the people maybe did. Because I rem- do remember this one thing. It was kind of funny. I was going to make this green salad um, that had mandarin oranges in it. And someone ate mandarin oranges before I could make the salad. Like I just, I left them on the kitchen table while I was tossing the greens or whatever. And then I turned around and this guy had eaten my mandarin oranges. You weren't vegan at the time though, were you? No, and it does do a number on your system. And I remember one time, this is funny though. It was they someone made a dish and it had gluten in it, like just these globules of gluten. That which is so funny to me now that everyone tries to avoid gluten. It was kinda of like a meatless or oh. a meat substitute kind of thing. Kinda of had like a, a gelatinous or jelly like texture in a way, but no more stiff than that, more chewy than that. Um I know there were lots of guests. Sometimes there were parties with live music. I do remember I moved into a room where this woman had painted these crazy murals on the wall, and I painted over them, and people were really disappointed that I did that. Um, and then th- there was a situation at one point where a fraternity tried to infiltrate the co-op and kind of take it over. Because you could do that without even if you got if you had enough members join the co-op, you could then just kind of turn it into a fraternity without even having to buy the property. So they were really careful when um, when people were trying to join the co-op. They you had to go to three different dinners and you'd be asked a lot of questions, and they really were trying to make sure you weren't from a fraternity. But I remember there was one guy who tried to join and he was rejected because they suspected him of being from a fraternity. He was a little too mainstream, I think. Or... I remember them asking me what I ate. And that was something they really grilled this poor guy about. Like, what did he, what does he eat? Cause I, I think they felt like, you know, anyone who was about to partake in just total vegan food would have to have some awareness of veganism and, you know, would not be eating at fast food all the time. And so they were, I remember they really pressed him like, where do you eat? Where do you eat lunch? You know, and they were not happy with his answers. I think that's actually one thing that got him rejected. There was a really interesting set of twins from Ireland. They were super punk. I remember, so, you know, they had the really cool accents and they were just sort of interesting. They couldn't pay their rent. So I remember we had some kind of house meeting about what to do about it. And then they were kind of like, we, we will pay our rent. You know, we will. I can't, I can't do Irish accent. But there was, then there was this whole plan of how they were going to pay their rent. And then I, I, and they just used to party like there was no tomorrow. And I think they had tattoos and all this stuff. And I remember their mom visiting from Ireland and she seemed very prim and proper. And I just wondered what, what she thought about these girls who were just, with mohawks and piercings and tattoos and just crazy uh, lifestyle. Yeah, I forgot to ask about drug use at the co-ops. Oh, it did happen. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> yes. I mean, was it just like bongs in the middle of the lounge or? Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. All of it. You met, you, if you can imagine, it probably happened. Were there people, hey, like, you want a shroom today, or? Yep. 
<laughs> you don't have any specific <laughs> examples, though. I don't know. My children might listen to this someday, so I better, I don't know. Let me say, I think it would be wonderful if Maura's daughters, now teenagers, listened to the show. They could get a sense of what their mother was like when she was just a few years older than they are now. As for Nottingham Co-op, I am happy to say they are still thriving after 49 years. In 1971, the founding 25 members bought the beautiful Mediterranean-style building from a former fraternity. Their nude lifestyle sometimes brought them trouble. In 1980, three members were charged with disorderly conduct and fined $27.50 for swimming and sunbathing naked. I'm not sure if going au naturel is still popular at the co-op, but based on their website, I don't believe they still have collective showers. If you or somebody you know is a member of Nottingham and would like to clarify their clothing policy, or if you have any other comments, please contact me through my website, pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Many thanks to Maura for sharing her memories. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.